Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is one of the major gurus in blackjack theory and practice, Arnold Snyder, who is here to discuss his new book, Radical Blackjack. Arnold Snyder, welcome to Gambling with an Edge. Hi, Bob. Hi, Munch. <laughs> I assume most of our listeners are generally aware of your career, but give the cliff notes. When were you an active player? When did you publish Blackjack Forum? And when did your major blackjack books come out? Oh, that's three long questions. Okay. When was I an active player? Um, in the mid-70s was when I started playing, but I mean, I was working at the post office trying to support two households, and basically I would take weekend trips up to Reno or Tahoe where I'd bring a hundred bucks and play at the $1 blackjack tables. And that's because I had read Ed Thorpe's Beat the Dealer. This was in the you know mid to late 70s. Um, my first book was in 1980, The Blackjack Formula. And um, by this point, I had pretty much bought every book, every technical paper, everything I could find at Gambler's Bookshop on the subject of blackjack. And uh, basically, on uh, two papers, Griffin had not yet had a book published at, uh, at this point, and neither did Braun, but everybody knew Braun because he did the computer work for everybody that was published just about other than Stanford Wong. He had done, uh, you know, I don't know, he did the computer work for Ed Thorpe, second edition, uh, Lawrence Revere, and I, I love Lawrence Revere's book. But um, I, I found these two technical papers, uh, one by Julian Braun, one by Peter Griffin, and I realized that there was, uh, it was possible to just come up with a formula uh, to figure out, um, just say what a player's advantage would be based on the number of decks, uh, what the shuffle point was, what the rules of play were, the kind of betting spread the player was using, what the system the player was using. A lot of this came from really directly from Griffin's book. Uh, he kind of quantified a whole lot of these things in numbers, but he never put them together and said, well, if you add this and this and this and this, you'll come up with this and you'll know what you're, you know. And that's kind of what I did. Um, it, apparently, no. I don't know why no one else had thought to do it. I, I, I was not a mathematically competent person. I am still not. I mean, you know, I, I the last time I went to, to had a math class was in high school. You know, I had um, algebra in in ninth grade, geometry in tenth grade, trigonometry in uh, when I was my junior year. I hated trig so much, I didn't even take calculus in my senior year. I was like, I hate math. The only thing is, I was good at math. You know, people hated me because I could just, you know, I wasn't an A student. I was a B student, but I never had to crack the book. I just, you know, I just looked, I'd read the page, and I understood it, and it made sense, and, you know. But, um, so, and I never had a college-level math course. Um, so, you know, but I just, I liked puzzles and things like that. And I just sort of figured, oh, man, I could put this together with that and you know, come up with this. And it worked. It re worked really well. Um, it was a big yeah. hit, too. But uh, the thing that, uh, you know, looking back on it, this was like 1980. Yeah, 1980. And the blackjack formula was like, 50 or 100 bucks or something? It was 100 bucks. 100 bucks, yeah, which was like a lot of money. I, I mean, uh, did you, 
Did you think about that? Like, okay. are people really going to pay a hundred dollars for this? Okay. Or? Now, again, at that time, I was working full time at the post office. Uh, I had uh, divorced my wife, and um, we had two kids. My son was living with me. My daughter was living with her. She couldn't work, so I was supporting two households, basically two small apartments in Berkeley, California. Um, so I had no money. I mean, this is why when I went up to, you know, when I went up to Reno or Tahoe to play, I'd go with a hundred bucks and I'd play at the one dollar tables. You know, to me, a one to five spread was one dollar to five dollars, you know. And if I, man, if I won eighty five dollars for the weekend, I'd be like, whoa, man, that was a great trip, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they, you know, I, I didn't. Under, I didn't really know. I asked Peter Griffin once. I said, Peter, why does that formula work? I mean, I know how I put it together, but why does it work? He explained it to me, and I didn't understand his explanation. <laughs> so, but you the know, decision to charge a hundred—how did you come about? Um, how did that come about? I I think what happened was uh, I figured, well, there's going to be a limited market for this. It's just mostly a mathematical formula. Um, I had, uh, like, you know, this was not, this was self-published. When I say self-published, I had a typist. This is before computers had word processors, you know. But um, I had a girlfriend who was a, uh, a professional typist, and she had a Xerox word processor, which, was, I mean, took up half the room. It was crazy, <laughs> but it could justify, you know, it could justify paragraphs, you know, and and uh, and so I had her type it in a way that I could then take it to copy mat. I photocopied the pages. I mean, I used a cutter to cut the pages. I had them tape bind one edge. It, this is the cheapest production ever. It was literally <laughs> photocopied. They cost me, and you know, the copy places. I mean, I was getting so many that they were like what, two cents a page or something like that. And it was like, I, th I think it was less than 100 pages. As, you know, it, it cost me <laughs> like maybe two bucks a book total for printing and binding and everything. And I just said, um, well, you know, there's probably about, you know, maybe 25 players in the whole world that'll ever read this thing. So um, I'll just say it's 100 bucks. And the people that some people will read what it says it does and they'll say, I want one. Well, it surprised the hell out of me. Um, I, you know, I sent copies to uh, Ken Houston and Stanford. Well, everybody had a newsletter back then. Lance Humble had a newsletter. Wong had a newsletter. Uh, you know, Houston had a newsletter. Walter Tominski had the uh, his uh, Rouge et Noir uh, news. Uh, you know, the Gambler's Bookshop. I mean, there were probably half a dozen places. Gambling Times was going in. I just sent review copies out to all of them. And I said, uh, here's my new book. Uh, you know, professional players could use it like this. And uh, it's a hundred bucks a copy. And um, everybody gave it a favorable review. And, um, you know, in fact, what happened was I sent, when I sent them out about, say, three days later, I got a call from Walter Tominski, who's in New York with the Rouge et Noir News, it's long been gone. And he said, uh, he said, well, uh, could I buy them in quantity for 50% off? I said, oh, you want to buy them for 50 bucks? I said, what kind of quantity do you want? He said, well, could I start with like 20 of them? And I'm like, 
a thousand bucks <laughs> sure i'll send you 20 of them i mean it cost me like 40 bucks for 20 of them you know the the problem was i had to go back to the copy center with the cutter and the you know it was like i was like a you know a, it was like the cheapest print job imaginable um, but you know, he, I just said a hundred bucks and then, and everybody just started selling them. They, you know, gamblers book club started ordering them. You know, they said, yeah, oh yeah, we can sell this. You know, we'll start with like five copies and see if they move But They just kept moving. Mm. So, you know, I, it's like, I made, I think I, I think it was late in the year, like maybe October or something when I came out with it in 1980 and like. In that year, I think I made like 3,000 bucks on it, which I was like shocked. I was like, whoa, I've been running up to Reno and Tahoe to play with $1 chips, you know? And this is after I figured out, let's see, well, my win rate here should be about $1.12 an hour, you know? And it's like, what, what, what am I doing that for? Why don't I just write about this? And it was literally uh, March of 1981, like literally six months after I published the Blackjack Formula. I I started the um, Blackjack Forum, the quarterly newsletter, and uh, and I just you know basically, you know there was no internet then, or it wasn't yeah, the same was, as what it, it is now. I mean, we were starved for information, right, and, so. and 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 knowing the the other people were out there. You know what I right, mean? And, right. Um, yeah, but there were newsletters. And so, you know, I sent a copy to Stanford Wong. I sent a copy to Ken. You know, I sent everybody. I said, well, here's my newsletter. And they all promoted it. It was just like, you know, it's like I wasn't buying advertising anywhere. You know, it's like yeah. I didn't have any money, you know. But uh, and so I just said, well, OK, here's a way to make money at Blackjack. Just write about it. You know, there's a there's hunger for this information. And uh, I and I kind of lucked out. Um you know, the, all the other authors and experts, you know, they all turned out to be really nice guys. They were, you know, they they were into like cross promotion. Yeah, you say nice stuff about me, I'll say nice stuff about you. But they were all doing good things. You know, they were actually, I mean, Stanford Wong, his information was great, you know. Yeah, except you know? for Jerry Patterson. <laughs> right. Well, Patterson at that time was good. Yeah, you know, was it, was a, it was a it was moved about, to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, it was like I was at nineteen eighty two or something. I think he started that target. Well, you know, Ken Houston won his case in New Jersey, and Patterson's schools just went down the tubes. You know, he he had a a, a, a blackjack card counting. Uh, you know that. Atlantic City was going crazy. They had early surrender. People were winning, you know. Yeah. The casinos made more money in Atlantic City when they had early surrender than they ever have since. You know, they got rid of it, changed rid of it. They've never made money like they were making, you know, like the, the amount of money they were making per table. didn't matter if there were card counters in there. It was just people were crazy gamblers, you know. And, you know, word got out, you know, oh, you can just beat this game. Everyone could, this one's got the favorable. Nobody knew how to play, you know. It's like, right. so, but yeah, but yeah, Patterson, you know, his schools died I literally like overnight because he was essentially teaching the East Coast how to beat those Atlantic City games. And they went to, you know, eight decks, only deal four, no more early surrender. And it was like, well, that's a pretty crappy game, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And, you know, 
he needed something to work, you know. It's kind of sad, you know, because he was a good friend with uh, of Stanford Wong's. And, you know, he was like sort of part of the whole thing. His books were good, his early books. And then he just went the whole target route. Like, no, there's another way to win. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to the Blackjack Forum and the Blackjack Formula, you wrote quite a few other books. Yeah, I um, like the first book I wrote. I well, I wrote a second book called Blackjack for Profit. It kind of took data I gleaned from using the blackjack formula in different games. I took single deck game, two deck game, four deck game, six, eight, and then with different shuffle points, and it gave like a very simple plus minus method that you could just literally add a few points. Uh, and figure out whether or not a game had a high enough score that it'd be worth playing, you know, or what kind of a betting spread you'd have to put down in order to beat it. It was a much simpler thing than the blackjack formula. Um, and I came, and that was that, you know, it was a real little book. It was like, again, now this one. Weren't there different volumes, like one for single deck, one for no, two No, no, no. You're thinking of, that was another thing I did later. I beat the one deck game. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, this was just a little, it was like, you know, literally you could fit it in your back oh, pocket. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I came out with that like a year later, and that one sold well. You know, now that one I just charged, I think it was nine ninety five. Um, it was a very small book, and it, this one was actually, um, you know, um, well, it wasn't typeset. Again, I think, think I had the same typist do it on her <laughs> Xerox, but uh, it was it was printed and and you know perfect bound, uh, you know, as a as a paperback, little paperback that you could put in your back pocket, and I did well with that. And then in 1982. I came out with black belt and blackjack, and this was just it had you know accounting, couple accounting systems, and yeah. Now that's really when the Red Seven came out, right. which was an unbalanced count long before KO. And what made you sort of come up with that idea? Um, I think what happened was I. I mean, it kind of seems like reinventing the wheel, right? Yeah, but, there were other there were other unbalanced counting systems. But they were not, um, they, they weren't really very optimal. They were mostly, they, came, they were like unbalanced 10 count systems. Mm -hmm. Like you count the 10s the versus the non 10s. I'm trying to rethink, I'm trying to think if, uh, if one of Sludikoff's first book, you know, Stanley Roberts, yeah. if one of his first books had, but it was a very weak counting system. You know, because it, again, it count, was counting the ace as a non ten, and the, as opposed to just—I mean, you know—it it just you know you were counting it backwards for betting, you know. Um, but there were no decent unbalanced ones, and it just struck me that, like, you know, wait a minute, you know, you could actually, if you use like real close to like the, the high-low values, um, you could unbalance a count and. Uh, and it would, it would work. You know, I mean, I just looked at it on paper and figured out, okay, what would it be at the halfway point when I would, this works fine. This just is very easy way to, to count. And I mean, I without do a lot of... Without dividing by true count. Right. Without doing any kind of dividing by the number of decks and, you know, um, 
I mean, you know, essentially, I actually didn't have any problem doing that. I never had problem adjusting for a true count, but I knew a, a lot of people did. Yeah. They, they really, you know, they're trying to... Well, first of all, like back then, the only games I ever played in were single deck. And a lot of people were in these shoe games. I mean, the shoe games were getting more and more popular while Atlantic City opened up, and that's all they had. And um, and you really had to be much more careful with your counting because um, there's such a huge difference to be being have you know have four and a half decks left in the shoe or a half a deck left in the shoe. You know, it's like a monstrous difference. Once you're in a single deck. A high count is a high count. You know, it's like you, well, and the you other bet thing what you can get you, away with. <laughs> if you if you get if you get screwed up, if you forget the count or something, right? Where you well, it's over in one more hand, and yeah, you can just right. start over. So. Right? Yeah. So you know, but you know, I uh, that was just one thing. You know, the other thing was um, I also realized you didn't need all those index numbers. You know, again, this just came right straight out of Griffin's book. I mean, most everything I came up with, I came up from looking at the data that Griffin published. And he showed the value of, of say, each of these hands. Like, what is it? What is a 16 versus a 10 worth? What is a 16 versus a 9 worth? What is a 16 versus a 8? You know, he had a chart. And it showed the the value in in percentage or something. But he had numbers in there. And you could see, look... These, you know, these two dozen, you know, and there's like, you know, a couple hundred possible strategy changes you could make, but all the value came out of like the same 20 to 25. And some of the value, they came out of things that you couldn't use anyway. There's a huge value to splitting tens, but card counters didn't even do that because you look like a card counter. Um, it's it's coming back now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of card counters are now splitting tens. Or a whole right. carter. Yeah, yeah. I split tens sometimes, but I used to do a lot of crazy plays. But I mean, at that there was a time when card counters would, you know, would never split tens. No, you'll look like a card counter. You know, I used to even. Talk oh, there's to still like, yeah, there's still a lot who. Who's, I mean, it yeah. is one of those plays that, you know, can very easily give you a lot of heat. Yeah. Right, it is. Yeah, it's, it's abnormal. Yeah. Most players look at a hand that totals twenty and they go leave it alone. You know, yeah. that's just normal human, you know, psychology. You just you 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 realize this is a good hand. You know, I could end up with two stiffs, which you sometimes did. And in fact, I think some players that tried splitting tens, they learned pretty quickly. Like, I should have stuck with my twenty. Again, most of the time you should. Yeah. So. Okay, so we've been going down memory lane. Let's, and we're supposed to be talking about radical blackjack today. So this book supposed to come out like ten years ago, eight years ago, something like that. What took so long? Okay, well, yeah, the last the last blackjack book I wrote that was published was the Big Book of Blackjack, and that was in two thousand six. So that's fifteen years ago. Um, I actually started writing this book about 10 years ago. And, uh, and it, because at that time, I had pretty much quit playing blackjack. I was done with blackjack. I was doing other stuff. Um, and so I just, I, you know, I just figured like, well, why don't I write some of this stuff? The, the problem was there were two problems. One 
problem was that I felt like some of this stuff, There's, I know there's still players out there doing some of this stuff. I, I don't feel comfortable revealing this. And so I sort of kept push, pushing stuff out that I didn't want to talk about. Um, but the other thing was I had, uh, I had a big chapter on uh, playing loss rebates which I had done a lot for like a couple of years back in 2000, 2001. And, um, you know, I had a, a big investor putting a bankroll behind me. And um, so I was able to, you know, go into big casinos with big, you know, money deposits and, and uh, really play, you know, however I wanted, you know, it's like I, I could play table limit at these places. And, um, you know, it's sort of like I. It took me a long time to. You know, I started getting loss rebates, and then I started looking at them and saying, "What is this worth? Wait a minute, there's some value here." And uh, you know, it, it, what it turned into was I. I realized there was a lot of value in loss rebates. I started asking for them every place I played. Um, figured out ways to milk them and stuff like this, but I never had a computer program that could analyze the actual exact value of a loss rebate. Uh, the, the software on the market, there's a lot of blackjack, good blackjack software on the market, but none of it had loss rebate functions. Like if you said, well, what if I get, you know, X percent back if I lose or if I lose this amount or whatever? You just couldn't put that in. And, um, and I was doing stuff, you know, I was figuring out estimates on what these things were worth essentially like using kind of like again like i'm not a mathematician now there's probably a mathematician out there today and probably was back then that could just look at it and say oh i can figure that out and just you know with a calculator or you know um but i was not a mathematician like that i had to use like coin flip examples and say well okay what if you're flipping coins and this is what, you know, the rebate is if you, you know, this is where if you get heads, this is if you get tails. And if you lose this much, you get this much. Well, I could do that kind of stuff on paper using like an Excel spreadsheet. And, and you know, I was doing that kind of stuff, realizing that this isn't really accurate for blackjack. Blackjack is definitely different from coin flip. So I always had to cut everything back and say, okay, if this thing tells me I got to uh, an 8% advantage here, it's probably 4% or less. But, you know, the thing is, so when I was writing this book, there was a, uh, um, a loss rebate that was available to all players. Uh, this is like in 2010, 2011, 2012. I can't remember exactly. Uh, but there's a, a, a casino here, Terribles, that closed. It's now called... Uh, Silver Sevens. Silver Sevens. Um, I think Silver Sevens might have took over in 2012 or someplace around there. But Terribles had a loss rebate that was uh, automatic 10% rebate to anyone who loses $1,000 over a period of like a day. In other words, you can't keep going in there and say, well, no, I've lost 320. I'll come back tomorrow. And, you know, in other words, it, this was like a, one play, you know, and I think you could it be one bet. Um, well, the problem is their their blackjack table had a five hundred dollar maximum on it. Now, I believe you could spread play two hands of five hundred, and technically, yes, you could do that. But what it comes down to is um, 
you know, I mean, I, I analyzed it with a coin flip and said, yeah, but boy, you're just not going to make very much money because, right. you know, um, you know, it's like I couldn't come up with a good analysis. And again, it was blackjack. So I, I contacted two people. I contacted James Grossjean and, um, Pretty and good Norm, choice. Watt, Norm Wattenberger. Pretty good choice again. Yeah. And I, I knew both of them could figure it out. And I had like emails back and forth from both of them. Oh, quite a few, probably a, maybe a couple dozen each. With me just asking questions, well, what about this? Well, what, you know, and it was like, and I realized, I, you know, I really wish I had software. I could just run this and try this, then try this. then Because, you know, it's like, you know, you're asking people to do work for nothing, you know. And I, what I wanted was I wanted to, I wanted the numbers for a book. And I was thinking like, yeah, well, geez, all we're talking about here is this Terribles one. Man, the rebates I were I was playing were at MGM and Caesars, and you know they're big casinos and much different rebates than these. And um, and I told Norm, I said, um, I said, well, you know, it would really be, you know, this this rebate does exist at Terribles. You know, I don't know that many rebates exist anywhere else or who can get them, but um, you might want to make that a function of your Casino Verite uh, software. And because um, it wasn't. And, uh, you know, and I just took all the data that I'd gotten from them, all the emails. Right? And I just thought, I can't write this rebate chapter based on this stuff. This is too, you know, just it, there's not enough here. And uh, and I thought, you know, someday there will be a software program and I'll do it. And then I just forgot about it. I just said, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm unsure about writing about these these topics and. I didn't want to write about the turn. You know, I didn't want to, you know, this was pre-Phil Ivey before anybody ever heard of edge sorting. Um, you know, it just was like, uh, it was stuff that I just felt like, nah, I don't, I think it's a bad idea. And so I just put it off. And now the thing is, Cardoza was going to be the publisher, Cardoza Publishing. And um, they're distributed by Simon & Schuster. Simon & Schuster when Car Cardoza submitted the books they were going to be putting out in 2013, um, they had uh, Radical Blackjack. And I, I don't know if it's still there, but I know as far as just even a few weeks ago, it was always there. If you went on the Amazon uh, website and you put in Radical Blackjack by Arnold Snyder, it would come up and it would say, published in 2013, uh, out of print. Yeah, out of print. I, yeah. Either out of print or not available or something, you know, and I was like, never, ever came out, never was published because I never submitted a final manuscript. And, um, you know, anyway, so, you know, that happened way back then. Then what happened? Well, the coronavirus hit. Suddenly everything's closed in Vegas. So I'm, I'm living, it's like, there's no place to go. There's nothing to do. So I said, you know, why don't I dig out that book? <laughs> and I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll contact Norm Wattenberg and say, look, did you ever, so I contacted him. He said, oh yeah, I put the, the, uh, the lost rebate function in there. Oh, you know, way back. I said, you did? I didn't even know it. So I was able to take his software and actually simulate all of the lost rebate data that I wanted uh, that, you know, would have been hugely valuable to me way back when I was playing this, but that was like now 20 years ago. 
to get back to the when you were playing the big loss rebates, how big of how big a rebates were you getting? Um, well, the biggest loss rebate was twenty percent. That was at the uh, Crown Casino in uh, in Melbourne. Uh, awful, absolutely awful game. And their their rebate. This is the like every place else, like all the Vegas casino, every place else that you know Reno, any other rebate loss rebate deals I got, they were just like verbal agreements. You know, I'd talk to the casino manager or my host would talk to the casino manager and he said, well, okay, yeah, the casino manager says this is the deal. Or he'd say, and I'd say, well, can I talk to the man? I want to ask him about this and this. And I'd get a couple of points out. And Could you get you know. some airfare on top of the? Oh, yeah. Thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, for the, for the amounts that I was playing. I mean, um, I was like putting hundreds of thousands in the cage you know, on deposit. I was wiring money to the casino in so advance. So sometimes they'd give you show up money and airfare and um, a loss yeah, rebate? Yeah, the show up money was usually given in, in the form of, um, uh, you know, chips. Non-negotiable you know, chips. Non-negotiable yeah. chips, but they were the valuable kind. Yeah, I mean, it's still right. money. Right? right, it's exactly the same <laughs> yeah. as, Just you know. Just a different color. Right. Um, you know, like the show up money I would get, like might be, you know, oh yeah, well here's uh, here's um ten thousand in promo chips to, you know, you know, it was like money. It was I was like, mm, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I remember once they gave me, well, you know, I actually had a, a disagreement with MGM once because uh, yeah, I had been playing there and playing there and playing there, and then. And then I, I lost the 200000 I had to lose at least 200000 to get my rebate. I lost the $200,000. Um, and I talked to the casino manager, and he said, well, we don't have any. I said, what do you mean you don't have any rebate deal with me? My, according to my host, well, yeah, we got a rebate deal here, 10% on losses of 200000 or more. And um, the... Uh, you know, he said, I don't know anything about that. So I called my host and he said, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, I negotiated that, you know, so many trips ago. Um, uh, he, You know, I, I think it was a different guy. And, you know, I didn't bring it up with this new guy. I just thought it was standing. And I, I'm like, you know, what? this is crazy, you know. So they decided to give me promo chips. So they said, okay, we'll, we'll give you promo chips for the, the for the 20,000 loss or something like but that. But full value They chip. were full value. But I was still, I was like, you know, this, you know, come yeah. on. Now I got to go out and play. Actually ended up making more than the 20,000 with the promo chips they gave me. But one of them I played, we, I was so, I was so, it's like we had like a, two $5,000 promo chips left. And, um, you know, they, they give them to you in these high values. You know, they, they don't want to give you a bunch of $100 promo chips that you can go spread. You know, you really have some fun with. So we had like two $5,000 tables and they had a, a roulette wheel in some, in some, uh, uh, it was in a, in a high roller area. And, you know, I actually, I think what it was was two, I think they were $2,000 promo chips. And, um, and I said, and I took one, and uh, and I gave one to Radar, and I said, "I'm gonna bet on red. You bet on black. Let's just go. We're gonna make sure we get we get our money's worth <laughs> with these." And hopefully uh, zero doesn't hit. 
Yes, right, and the zero didn't hit. But it's like, I felt like, you know, I know their cameras are watching me, you know. I mean, I had put 500000 on deposit to come in here. I've been playing $10,000 hands for all weekend. Now I'm wandering around the casino with promo chips. <laughs> so uh, I'll bet they like this, you know. Well, you look like a real bust-out at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. It's almost like, you know, it's not the way they would want you to play promo chips. Sure. Yeah. But of course, if you did, if they did hit green, they'd be cracking up. You know, you know, they'd be rolling on the floor laughing that you deserved it, buddy. <laughs> when and why would you ever double on a hard twelve? Well, the only the only time you would ever do that would be to look like a complete fool, because it's not um, it's not a play that ever is going to make you more money than not doubling. <laughs> You know, doubling down on a hard anything is, a, well, I mean, hard 11 is fine. But I mean, you know, when we're talking about a, a stiff, um, you don't. Um, but this was one of, it's sort of like, this is a hand I never would have considered playing. But uh, there was a, um, a, a software program out that uh, casinos were using called Blackjack Survey Voice. <clears throat> it came out in the 1990s. I think they're still using it. Yeah, it's still out. It's, now, now it's they, called BJ Survey. BJ Survey, yeah. yeah. They, um, they uh, you know, but it came out in the 1990s. And, uh, you know, and I, I read the brochures. I used to go to, like, like, any of the gaming shows that came up. I would go, you know, picking up all the brochures for all the products. I wanted to see what the casinos. Well, there was Blackjack Survey Voice. And I was like, oh, man, this thing, what is this thing, you know? And because they were just saying, you know, now in real time, you can you can uh, identify card counters, basic strategy players, bad players, figure out like what your edge is over them, know how to, you know, give the, the correct amount of comps. And, you know, and I was like, what is this thing? You know, it's like, you know, it's like this is a computer program they're selling. How the heck does this work? Well, you know, it wasn't too long. I get a call from a, a guy in the East Coast. Says he's working in surveillance at such a casino, and and um, and he's got uh, he was assigned the task of learning to use blackjack survey voice so he could train all the the surveillance people um, how to use it. And he said, well, you know, he'd been using it for a couple of weeks. He's pretty much got it down. He says, look, anything you want to know about it, I can tell you. I think I'd mentioned it in blackjack forum as to what it was, but said, yeah, I don't know how this works or whatever. And so he was a subscriber, you know, he, and he was, he was a card counter, but he worked in surveillance on his, you know, as a job. And so I just got this idea. I said, you know, yeah, well, he said, I can send you the operating manual or the information packets they sent us about it. So you can read all this. And if you have any questions, let me know. This tells you how. And so I, I had a couple of questions and, and the things were, um, you know, I, I talk about them. But two of the things that really stood out was that um, it never mentioned anything about insuring for less or doubling for less. And both of these are things that are most casinos allow. In other words, if usually if you have a $100 bet and you want to double down, you double down for 100 bucks. A lot of times a player goes, oh, I only got 50 bucks. Go ahead. You can double with that 50 bucks. In other words, they allow doubling for less. And they allow insurance for less. You know, you got a $100 bet. You don't have to put up 50. Uh, you can put up 10. It's your last 10 bucks. Go ahead. Go for it, you know. 
Um, but the thing is that none of the books that are geared towards blackjack players, telling blackjack players how to play, none of them talk about doubling for less or insuring for less because there's no reason to do it. You know, um, I think Peter Griffin uh, wrote one uh, short article once about, yes, it would sometimes be uh, worth it for you to insure for less. And it had to do with uh, the amount of money you were putting on the table based on what the, the Kelly criterion was. You were right on the edge of whether or not you were putting too much money, you know. And But it's such a silly thing that it was like, yeah, who's going to figure that out? You know, most of the people I know, they're not playing down to their last nickel. Yeah. You know? They're not, nobody's <laughs> playing full Kelly. Right. right. Yeah. But, um, you know, so that none of the books ever dealt with it. So it was just considered, you know, and nobody ever did it. The only time I ever saw anybody do it was because they were down to their last couple bucks. And they go, well, okay, I'll double down for this much. I got an 11. He's got a five. I'll take a chance. And, you know, but what I realized was, so what happened was that Survey Voice had no function for doubling for less or insuring for less. If the player doubled down, it automatically doubled the amount of the bet. If he insured, it automatically insured for half the bet. That's just the standard. And, um, and so I asked him about this, and he, you know, he said, well, no, no it, doesn't ha it doesn't do that, but why would anybody do it? Nobody ever does do it. It's just an amateur thing you see once in a while. Nobody cares. And I thought, you know, well, um, I'm kind of interested in looking at the value of it as a camouflage technique. And, um, and so he ran some simulations on uh, insuring for less. And, you know, and I said, okay, uh, you know, just run off like, you know, 100 hands of a player playing perfect basic strategy uh, and then uh, rerun the exact same hands, perfect basic strategy. The only difference is every time the dealer has an ace showing, every time you insure. Just take the insurance and tell me. And he did that, and he said, well, yeah, when I take the insurance, the, the program says this is an amateur player. He makes too many mistakes. You've got a high advantage. I can't remember exactly what, you know, but it was totally different. And I said, well, that's all I need to know because I said, you know, the, you know you've got a player who's bet, you know, I think he said there were eight insurance bets placed during the 100 hands. I said, so... The program thinks you're playing 200 a hand and that you paid, play, pay, made eight $100 insurance bets. I said, but what if you were only insuring for $10? All eight bets only cost you 80 bucks. It's not even a full single insurance bet. So the program is going to say, you know, you're a complete idiot. But in fact, if you look at the, the cost of taking, you know, eight tenths of one insurance bet, Every hundred hands, the cost is minimal. Yes, you know the total cost is like I don't can't remember what it was two dollars and thirty five cents or something like that would be the actual cost, even if you were insuring for ten dollars each time because you don't always lose, you know. Um, so it, you know, and the thing it came up also with doubling for less, um, like you know, doubling down. Doubling down on a, on a hard 12 versus anything is idiotic. It's a huge cost to it. It's brilliant. 
Right. But if you double, in other words, again, it's the type of thing. If you have a $200 bet out there and you double for 10 bucks more. Um, you're well, already going to take one card. Right. You're, you're right. Really well, and the thing is, you actually, in that case, you're playing the hand correctly. Because tw this would be only against a two or a three. But your basic strategy for a, for a hard 12 versus two or three is hit. And no matter what you get, you would not take another, even if you got an ace on it, it's now 13, and there's no way you'd ever want to hit the 13. So you're playing your hand correctly, but for only, you know, you all you did was up the amount of, you know, you didn't double it. You only went up 5% or 2%, depending on what's, how much discrepancy there is between, well, <clears throat> What I found out was, now I initially developed like, well, this is a great way to, to fool survey voice. You know, survey voice is going to have you a complete moron at the table. But the thing is, is that you don't have to have survey voice. If, you're, if you are taking insurance every hand, even insure for less, casinos are just shaking their head like, this guy is a complete idiot. You know, he's all he, he thinks he's got to put an insurance bet. He, here, here he's got a, a, a two hundred dollar bet on the table. He's put a nickel on insurance. The guy's an idiot. You know, you look like a fool, and and this is the same thing. You know, doubling on twelve. You know, what are you doing? You're doubling. You know, they they always call the pit boss over. You know, the dealer. I think a, the dealer is not allowed answer. to deal to a player who tries to double on a hard hand. I think usually I, you, know, you still, do have to call a boss. Yeah. Yeah, they they because every time I've done it. It's like, players doubling on a hard 12. You know how the big boss comes running over, sir? Sir, you, one, they want to know, are you drunk? You know, have you been drinking? You know, what's going on? You know, and you'd have to, you know, explain, you know, your logic, you know, which was always fun. You know, I loved explaining my stupid logic. And they'd just sit there and go, okay, go ahead, deal, deal the card, you know. And it didn't matter what happens. You know, if you actually got a nine on it, I mean, you know, it would be hilarious. But the pit boss would be thinking, guy's an idiot, you know. He could have doubled, you know, he had a $500 bet out there. He put an extra 10. He could have won 1,000 instead of 510, you know. It's like you always look like an idiot when you're doing these plays. Since Arnold looks like an idiot now, we're going to take a few commercials. We'll be right back with Arnold Snyder. South Point has more than 10,000 games returning more than 99%. This is more than anyone else has. In July, the free play with a kicker promotion is for players who already get mailers. Pick up your normal mailer free play on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. And if you do, you'll receive the same amount of free play on Friday or Saturday of the same week. Pick up all eight free plays during the month, and you'll receive a double amount of free play on Monday, August 2nd. Hey guys, this is Colin from BlackjackApprenticeship.com, and if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game, like our comprehensive video course and our training suite, so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed, like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. 
The game of the week is Lucky Eights. This is a rare case where a video poker game has the same name as a table game side bet. It is 10 coins per line where you get bonuses for three or more eights, including full houses with three eights. If you get dealt trips or higher, about every 35 hands, you get to spin the wheel, which includes amounts ranging from 188 to, very occasionally, 18,888 coins. Induces wild variations, you spin the wheel on dealt flushes or higher, which occur every 42 hands on average. You'll need to figure out the strategy for yourself, but it appears to be possible with simple algebra. With 88445, for example, it must be correct just to hold the 8s, just because the bonuses on 3 or more 8s on deuces wild variations where you would normally hold a suited Jack-10-9 over a pair of 8s, or maybe even Jack-10-9-8 in some games. In this game, surely holding the 8s is far better. All right, we're back talking with Arnold Snyder on his new book, Radical Blackjack. In your book, you cover several stories concerning shuffle tracking. Richard has said several times on this show that shuffle tracking is dead because so pl few places have consistent trackable shuffles anymore. Do you agree with Richard on this? I have not looked at shuffles in 15 years. So I would have to say, you know, I think Richard's a pretty smart guy, and I think he understands shuffle tracking pretty well. So I honestly, I honestly couldn't say. Now, whether or not there are, like, I talked to players um, at one of, uh, one of the, there's a, this blackjack boot camp group that meets in Vegas, you know, once or twice a year. Yes. And they ask, um, they ask various uh experts and authors to attend and i've gone to a couple of theirs and i met two players uh at one of them uh i met them separately they weren't together but both of them were tra said they were tracking shuffles and that's all they did they just thanked me for the shuffle tracking book i wrote you know back in what it was a 2003 or something like I that i was gonna say six but may yeah oh, maybe you're right i can't remember um but uh they said that's all they did but I asked him, "Well, where's where are the best uh, where are the best tracking games in Vegas?" And then neither of them ever played in Vegas. They yeah. were they yeah. were in the Midwest and on river boats and Indian reservations, and so I'm imagining they're not tracking at like you know with you know five thousand dollar hands or anything like that, but. You know, they both said that's all they do now. They quit their jobs. They're playing blackjack, and mostly what they do is track shuffles. Yeah, so. I, I don't think anything is ever completely dead. Like, there seems to be a cycle, and things come right. back around again. But um, from uh, last I've looked around Vegas, there were no shuffles that I would bother uh, right. going after. But, yeah, you're you're right. And, and, you know, there's a big world out there, too, so you never – you could be in some foreign country and find right. some great shuffles too. So. I mean, I think the, I think the biggest detriment is the popularity of the automatic shufflers. You know, so many casinos use those now. Uh, they used to be very rare. You know, because um, players didn't care for them much. And, and the, you know, when players ask me about it, what I what I say to them now is find a game to play first. Yeah. Like if you live near a casino where you think there's a good trackable shuffle, okay, then take the time to. I put in the time to learn how to do it. Right. But 
don't don't put in a whole bunch of hours and then travel around looking for a game and not find one. Right. Yeah. So I, I really don't know like how many are available or where they are, or what levels or anything. I it's just not you know it's not something I've looked at in a long time. One story you tell, um, your wife Radar was sitting next to you. You bet six hands of $10,000 each for an entire six-deck shoe. Tell us why on earth would you do this and what interesting <laughs> comp did it generate? Okay, yeah, this was uh, this was at MGM Grand, and this was a, a rebate play. Um, I had a lost rebate deal there where if I lost... 250000 or more, they gave me a 10% rebate on the loss. And um, the thing is, I was down, I was down like 190 some thousand uh, after, you know, this was just from just playing shuffle tracking, you know, you know, it's the way it goes. You, if you're, you know, we were playing up to, oh, they allowed us to play up to six hands of 10,000 each. In other words, we could spread the table with their max bet. Well, you know, 190,000, what's that? Like you could lose three times in a row and you're down 180,000. So it's like, so these numbers sound crazy. Like how could you lose 190,000? It's like, well, no, when you're playing that much, you know, if, you know, an opportunity comes up and you say, okay, we, here's our slug. And, you know, you throw your money out there and the dealer gets a blackjack three hands in a row and your slug is gone and you just you know yeah we could you know you can lose two hundred thousand bucks in a few rounds on a on uh -huh. one slug but uh so we were you know we had been playing that weekend and we were down like a hundred and ninety thousand and um you know it was a situation where if i bet sixty thousand and i lost them all i'd be down two hundred fifty thousand and i automatically get twenty five thousand back so essentially you know i'm you know, I might be risking, you know, I mean, I might be putting 60000 on the table, but I wasn't risking 60000 I'm really only risking 25000 or 35000 because I get twenty five back. Whereas if I win, I get the whole 60000 <clears throat> Well, that there is a huge advantage to, I mean, this is where the advantage from loss rebates come. It comes from milking those times when you're in, um, I have a big chapter on lost rebates and how to how to play them, and, but there's a, an area that I call the rebate zone, where in a, in this single round you could earn the rebate or uh, you know come out substantially ahead of where you were, and uh, it's you know you can figure out again I used a computer program this time to figure out you know I show actually what the coin flip analysis comes to and what happens when I run it on the computer and you can see what the differences are. But the advantages in, in situations like that uh, for the player, they're, they're really through the roof. They're types of advantages that card counters never see. And um, so yeah, what happened was we, we, you know, we went down to the table. We knew, you know, well, before Th going down this there. This could be one hand or right. one. But, you know, we've been playing rebates for quite a while at that point. And so I said, okay, well, you know, listen, we're going to, I'm going to spread the table. If we lose them all, okay, we're, we'll get our $25,000 rebate and walk. If we win them all, well, we have to decide, are, are we going to keep playing? You know, we're, now we're 60000 ahead of where we were. Well, but of course, as it happened, I kept winning some, losing some, winning some, losing. We kept staying in and around. 
you know, someplace, but you know, 160,000 down 170,000, you know, down 100, you know, <laughs> it's like, we never, we were never out of the rebate zone. And, and we, I just kept spreading the table. We finally won a hand where it, it's like, I even had like a, a, a couple double downs or a double down on the blackjack, or whatever. We won like 80,000 on, on one hand. And that was it. I was like, okay, we are definitely out of the rebate zone. But the problem was the count was through the roof. Like, you know, we're card counters also. And she's like bumping my leg under the table. You know, we had these all these under the table signals that, you know, and she's telling me, you know, look, the count is plus 13 right now. You know, there's only, you know, two and a half decks left to play. Spread the table, keep it. So I just kept spreading the table, won a little bit more. You know, it was it was just kind of crazy. But in that one shoe, we came up 140,000, um, which sounds crazy. But if, if yeah, you're playing 60,000 60, around, yeah. <laughs> it's like two rounds is 120,000. Yeah. <clears throat> but I mean, that's how we happened to do that. And um, so they must have loved you after that. <clears throat> yeah, they did. Uh, because uh, what happened was it wasn't too long after that. Uh, I got a call from my host, and he said, uh, uh, "Would you know we'd we'd like to uh, uh, comp you to the Super Bowl?" And the, you know the Super Bowl was quite a ways away. You know it was like months away. <clears throat> and I said, um, "Oh, yeah, you know, well, you know, the casinos have great Super Bowl parties. Yeah, they, do. they always do, and they're always packed with card counters too, because it's just sort of like, you know, Fourth of July or New Year's Eve. It's like people show up because there's so many people in the casinos, all the big money's in there. You know, when there's a big fight night, you know, well, Super Bowl's just like that. There's so many players in there. The tables are packed, so all the big teams are in town. You know. Um, so I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll go to your Super Bowl party, you know, well, why not? Yours is going to be as good as anybody else's. And uh, and I said, you know, look, when it gets closer to the date, nobody knew who was playing. Uh, I don't even know if it was, I don't even know if the season had started yet, you know, it was like real early, you know, the Super Bowl was like February. But uh, he said, um, he said, I said, you know, let me know and I'll make flight arrangements and, and give you a call. And, you know, and he said, oh, no, no, we're going to make the flight arrangements. Super Bowl's in New Orleans this year, so we're going to fly you out there. I'm like, what? You're going to wait. The MGM Grand in Las Vegas is going to fly me to the Super Bowl in New Orleans. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we do that for our special players. <laughs> and I was like, do you even have a, a casino in New Orleans? And I knew they didn't, you know, it's like I knew I knew what the Gulf Coast casinos were. He said, well, no, we're going to put you up in our casino in Biloxi. And uh, it's only a couple hour drive or hour and a half, two hour drive to, 90 miles to, to Orleans. So we'll, uh, we'll limo you to the Super Bowl and, and, um, and then take you back and you get the weekend at our at our uh, Beau Rivage, in, in, which is their Biloxi casino. I was like, okay, this, you know, that was like a, a maniac comp. Just like, okay, now these these comps are really getting weird. We're gonna fly you to the Super Bowl. <laughs> but it's too bad you couldn't sell those tickets. They. Uh... Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> including the limo ride and the, the airfare and. But the comp was bigger than that. Well, no. Let's just say that was the comp. 
that was the comp. Okay. Very good. So we actually have lots more to talk to Arnold about, and we're out of time. We barely have time for the recommended section, and so which probably means that we're going to have to twist Arnold's arm to come back and talk to us again. But the book is called Radical Blackjack. You can certainly get it at Huntington Press. I assume it is or will be very soon at Amazon and various other places. But um, I'm pretty sure Huntington Press is offering autographed copies now of your book. You must be getting your... He asked me to come in and sign a bunch, so I, I'm, I suspect people are asking for them. Very good. So, uh, Richard, do you have a recommended for our guest today? Yeah, my recommended this week is um, things have opened up again back in Las Vegas, including Super Summer Theater is opening again out by Red Rock Canyon. It is a beautiful outdoor theater um, where you can go see shows under the stars during the summer. The first show, which opens, I think, July 15th, is You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. If you've never gone, um, it's it's just really great. It's, you know, 10 degrees cooler out there, and uh, you get to see a show under the stars, and it's just a great evening. So uh, check it out, Super Summer Theater. Yeah, I think Bonnie wants to go to one called Something About Smoky Joe's. Is that the yeah, same? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a show, Smoky Joe's Cafe might be the title. I think Maybe. that's the third show of the season, but yeah. Very good. Oh, they're almost always all musicals there. So, if you like musicals and family friendly, and you bring you yeah. bring your own blanket and sit on the grass, or you can rent chairs. Yeah, you can rent a chair for a dollar. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right, my recommendation today is the book Daylight by David Baldacci. This is book three of the Atlee Pine series. Atlee is a FBI agent covering the Grand Canyon who's now searching for a twin sister who was abducted when they were both six years old. Since Baldacci is a guy who can churn out two books a year and has been doing so for a few decades, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by ever catching up and reading them all. But at the front of each book, you can see that he has a number of series, whether they're three books long, four books long, five books long, something like that. So if you start with one of these series and pick the first one in the series, and then you can figure out if you like the Baldacci form of thriller. Arnold Snyder, do you have a recommended for our audience today? Yeah, I'll um, I'll uh, pick up on uh, on Munchkin's recommendation. If you're if you're going to be out in Red Rock Canyon, um, there's a, a little cafe. It opened about two years ago uh, in the town of Blue Diamond. It it didn't used to exist. Um, Blue Diamond is known for the fact that the the wild uh, herd uh, burrows wander around the streets of the town and through the park and stuff like that. But there didn't used to be any any kind of a, an eating place there. And there's a place there now called the, the Cottonwood Station. And it has, um, oh, it's like coffee and tea, beer and wine, sandwiches, pizza, you know, salads, soups. Um, and it's really good. It's really good. They're, they're, they use a lot of natural foods, and it's inexpensive. So if you're really, really going to be out there, there's not many places to eat out there. <laughs> so, you know, uh, they're open seven days a week, and, uh, and they have good food. So it's, a, you know, a good place to stop if you're going to go out for the, 
And if you forget the name, it's the only place out there, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. If you get anywhere, if you get into Blue Diamond, anybody could tell you where it is. You know, where do I eat? <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Arnold Snyder. We wish you best of luck on Radical Blackjack. Thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. Good day. <laughs>